0: Why do you want to fight?
1: This is The Fight Game game, game.
2: with Damond Cotton.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition, a supersized edition of The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Q. Cotton, and I say it each and every week, but there is so much to talk about in the world of combat sports. Last week had to take the show off because of the NFL draft. So much was going on in Raiderland, inside of Raider Nation Radio, that Oh, man, I was just tied up. Oh, so much that was going on. But don't you worry. Two hours today, giving you an extra hour for the hour that we missed. And don't worry. What the, we're still going to catch up on all the biggest stories that we missed on our week away. Because twelve fifteen, I talked to Ben Baby last week. Ben Baby from ESPN, and we're going to play that interview. We talked about Tank Garcia. I mean, that was one of the biggest fights in a long time in the world of boxing. So let me just give you the guest lineup because we got some heavy hitters for you today. Don't you worry. Round 12-15, we're going to get into that interview with Gilbert. Excuse me. With Ben Baby. 1230, we're going to be talking to Gilbert Burns. UFC 288, the UFC really came through. We're going to be talking to the main event and the co-main of that card at UFC 288 that's going to be taking place this Saturday. So don't you worry. About 1230, we're going to be talking to Gilbert Burns. And then right after that, remember the name. Balal Muhammad's going to be joining us around 1245. And to kick off our number two, Triple C, one of the greatest combat athletes of all time, Henry Cejudo. Talked to him at Super Bowl, so, I mean, it's going to be good to have him back on the show. Going to be talking to Henry Cejudo around 1 o'clock. And then after that, the champ, the funk master, Algermain Sterling, going to be joining me on the show as well. But wait, there's more. Yes, there is more. Got to talk to one of the legends of the UFC. Rich Franklin, former UFC middleweight champion. He's now an executive with one championship as they're going to be making their debut in the U.S. this weekend as well. I mean, you don't want to miss that one championship. Not only do they have MMA, also kickboxing, also Muay Thai going to be on this card. The return of Sage Northcutt. I mean, cannot wait for you to hear that interview that I had with Rich Franklin. And then we're going to be talking, closing out the show with Amy Kaplan photo, Amy 33 on Twitter. When I'm at the UFC apex, Amy is always one of the first people to ask questions, always first, you know, to get the fighters feelings after they have a big win. Most recently she had, I'm not going to say a dust up. No dust up. (laughs) Isn't the right word. More of a, the fighter get, got mad at her. Bobby green after his fight with Jared Gordon, She asked him about his feelings, and he's he's like went off about the feelings. So, I mean, Amy is great at what she does, but we're not only going to be talking about UFC. No, 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 no. UFC 288, we've got you covered wall to wall. We've got the main event. We've got the co-main event. Those guys are coming on the show. But when we talk to Amy, and she's going to be joining us in studio, I really want to talk about Vanderpump Rules. Yes, I know what you're saying. Hey, Damon. This is the fight game. Why are you going to be talking about Vanderpump rules? Hey man, it's a fight. Everything's a fight. I mean, the fight that we're going to see with the Scandoval situation with Tom Sandoval. I know <laughs> if you're not caught up with all the, your Bravo gossip, you're like, "Damon, what the hell are you talking about? But don't worry. It's going to happen towards the end of the show. Amy Kaplan is going to be joining us to talk about that. Also, there's just like I said, there's so much to talk about. WWE Backlash is this weekend. That's also going to be taking place. UFC, WWE, one championship. Everything is happening this weekend. I want to do some. I know we've I gave you the guest lineup. We're, we're going to be wall-to-wall coverage, guest, guest, guests, back to back to back to back to back. But I do want to talk about WWE Backlash before we get into it with our first guest. Because it's taking place in Puerto Rico. WWE backlash, even if you when you hashtag it on Twitter, you get the Bad Bunny emoji right next to it. I cannot wait for that San Juan street fight between Bad Bunny and Damian Priest. As WWE, they keep throwing around the term. He's a global sensation, a global superstar. This is huge for the WWE. That first show after WrestleMania, it's usually a retread. Hey, you might get a WrestleMania rematch with a different twist on it. But I really do love the incorporation of Bad Bunny. We remember the match at WrestleMania when he tag-teamed with Damian Priest. He hit the Bunny Destroyer, as they called it. So I'm very excited to see what he can do with some one-on-one action. Probably going to be some chicanery with the LWO, Rey Mysterio. You know, maybe going to come out and take out the Judgment Day. I'm really excited about that match as well. But the match I'm most excited for, Cody Rhodes. And Brock Lesnar. This has just been a pull-apart feud where, you know, Cody is trying to get his hands back on Brock after he turned on him, you know, with no explanation after WrestleMania. The Raw after Mania, Brock Lesnar turning on Cody Rhodes. So I really am excited about this WWE Backlash card. And also, let's talk about that WWE World Heavyweight Championship that was unveiled last week on Monday Night Raw. I know there have been a lot of mixed emotions about this new title. Oh, it's it's they're trying to replicate the big gold, but given more of a WWE twist. My only complaint about the title, the WWE logo is too big for me. It, the, I don't like how big the logo is. You know, it's taking up too much space on the actual title. It's taking away for me the you know the lions on the side, the gold, the big goldness of it. I just think that that big W is taking away a little bit from it. Where I feel like I haven't been talking about wrestling as much, but yes, championship belt talk is where I want to talk about this one because now also where does this leave where does this leave Roman Reigns? We saw with the WWE draft that happened this past week, where it's, oh, it's more of a superstar shakeup. I wish they would just call it a superstar shakeup because we know that this isn't an actual draft. This isn't the NFL where team Fox and USA are can aren't competing against each other, trying to get the call in of who's gonna take who. But to have a new championship on the show that Roman Reigns isn't going to be on. We now know that Roman Reigns is going to be on SmackDown. And now this new World Heavyweight Championship is going to be on Raw. And this is looking like the Seth Rollins title. And the title, it's going to have to grow on me. Because as of right now, it's the here to please the fans. like Always asking for something. It's one of those moves. Where you know, when you're a kid, you like, asking your older sibling, hey, can I have some?" It's like, here you go, always asking for something. This is what the WWE is doing to the fans, I feel like. You guys are getting mad about Roman Reigns being a part-timer. Roman Reigns, you know, competing on a limited schedule that he negotiated with the WWE. And this is the title that, hey, it's going to be a workhorse world championship title. So here you go. You guys can enjoy this. I'm going. I need more from it because I mean, Seth Rollins. He's going to be taking on Omos at WWE Backlash. I'm. I'm willing. I'm waiting to see how they are going to tell the story of who gets this championship because right now it's looking like yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, this is going to be Seth Rollins' title to win. Cody Rhodes. He's focused on Brock Lesnar, where he hasn't even mentioned that he wants this new title, this title that's supposed to be the shining star for any superstar on Raw, but the biggest babyface on the roster hasn't even tried, hasn't even mentioned, hasn't given thought to chasing this new title that's supposed to be the most prized possession on the show. So that's just interesting to me that we don't know who's going to want to, that who wants this actual title besides Seth Rollins. Some other moves that happened in the draft that I'm very excited about. Imperium going to Raw Gunther. Man, it's going to be exciting to see Imperium work. I mean, I know it's just a different show. See him mix it up with some different opponents. That obviously means that Austin Theory is going to make the run this back to SmackDown. But, man, Imperium on Raw, I just want to see Gunther mix it up with the entire WWE roster before it's all said and done. Give me more Gunther. Give me more matches with him. And the six-man tag that's going to be taking place at WWE Backlash before we get into our conversation with Ben Baby, super excited about that as well. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, these guys, they cannot miss. And Riddle alongside them, taking on the bloodline. Drafted to different shows. I mean, the bloodline, they basically had the ultimatum. If you don't win, you can't come back home. And they did not get those tag team championships back. I really want to see where the best storyline in wrestling is going to go from here. We haven't seen Roman Reigns since WrestleMania. Maybe he's going to have to make a comeback if the bloodline isn't able to secure that win at wwe backlash look at that got a little wrestling in the show i was worried we weren't going to be able to talk about wrestling on today's show but i got it in for you don't you worry now let's ring the bell and get into my conversation with ben baby from espn let's get it on nothing but illustrious guests and i'm pleased to introduce my next guest Ben Baby from ESPN. He covers the Cincinnati Bengals. But today we're gonna to be talking about a little boxing as Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia had their epic fight and T Mobile this past weekend. Ben, I've got to ask you, you were in the building. What was the atmosphere like? I'll
3: tell you what, that, that atmosphere was as good as any I've been around at
0: any sporting event. I don't I don't care what
3: it is. Uh, you know, you talk about the Super Bowl, you talk about, you know, big time college football games, whatever it may be. You know, it was just absolutely electric. I mean, there were so many celebrities and stars in and out of sports, in and out of boxing, at T-Mobile. Uh, you know, when Tank got that knockdown in the second round, you know, I could barely hear it. sounded just like a sea of noise, and I'd never really felt that kind of atmosphere before at an event. And it was just – it was really incredible. And it, it was, a, I think, a night that, you know, Ryan and a lot of folks have said it. You know, I, I felt like it was a night that boxing needed. They needed a big-time event to show what the sport can really be like and, and I think we got that on Saturday.
0: Yeah, here in town, the local paper, the Las Vegas Review Journal, that was the headline. The sport of boxing won. Leading up, did you expect that type of turnout that it was going to be one of those fights that boxing needed? Yeah, you know, you, we, you know,
3: talking to people throughout the course of the build up, you know, especially, you know, I was talking to Leonard Ellerby and, and various people uh, involved in kind of the fight, and, and you could tell that there was a lot of buzz, that there was going to be a lot of turnout. You know, it's been you know when you look at it, these two stars, you know, they've they built their followings over you know the last few years in unique ways. You know, you know Tank building his following by being associated with Floyd Mayweather, and you know Ellerbe and Mayweather promotions really building him up over the last few years, and then Ryan, you know, a guy who's really been a social media star for several years, which is why there's been so much intrigue. Uh, but he over the last couple of years he's really started to develop as a boxer and really you know, had some good results and, and I think that the fact that both of those guys came into this fight as pretty big stars with some crossover appeal was the main reason the fight got made and, and I expect uh, you know, I, I think that's a good blueprint for, for what it's like to be a star in these days and kind of what it takes if you want to make big bucks in boxing.
0: All right, let's get into the actual specifics of the fight. That first round, it was more so touch-and-go, a feeling-out process had Garcia winning that round. After the first, could you see see Tank having that slow start, and who did you think was maybe getting the better of it, even though there wasn't much to see from that first round?
3: Yeah, you know, I I liked Garcia in that round. I I saw him, you know, pressing the action, and and I think it's going to be interesting, you know, when you looked at the cards, I think I was a— I I was very unpopularly uh, scoring some rounds for Garcia that others weren't, and I'll I'll explain why. I think that, you know, a lot of times, you know, there there are different different ways to kind of score rounds, and you know, clean and effective punching is usually what people end up going with. However, I I do also think that something does need to be said for fighters who are looking to make the fight happen. I think that, you know, if you sit in a defensive shell and and if nobody's landing clean, effective punches, but a guy's not throwing. I think that ends up becoming a, a detriment. I thought Garcia did a good job in that first round, and, and really the blueprint over the course of that fight, you saw you know, what Tank was able to do in the second, and then in, you know to get the uh, the stoppage as well. You know he did a really excellent job of, of luring Garcia into a false sense of confidence, of really overexerting himself. And Garcia tried to be disciplined, but ultimately he couldn't help himself, and and you saw that in the first round. And I think that had Garcia. Fought in the first, like, you know, had he, had he fought like that the rest of the fight, I think he had a good chance of winning a decision. So, I, you know, I think it's interesting kind of how that started out early.
0: Again, we're talking to Ben Baby from ESPN here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. You mentioned in that second round where if he would have kept fighting in the first, but in the second he gives up the distance that he clearly has, you know, with the reach advantage that he has, and he wants to get into a firefight and tank caught him. From the second round on, could you see Garcia's attitude change to the fight where he gets a little bit more shy, where he's not even using his jab as much because he knows that that knockout power is there?
3: Yeah, you know, you could definitely tell after that knockdown that Ryan was a little bit more hesitant. and. You know, I, I think that you saw over the next couple of rounds that you know, and they were very close. And and, and the thing is, is is I still gave Garcia a couple rounds. I actually had him up around on my scorecard, even with the knockdown. And, it, and it's because you know, Tank was very, you know, the, looking at it in real time. And I want to go back and, and rewatch it on replay. I felt like Ryan was trying to press the action a little bit, and Tank again was just trying to bait. Uh, Ryan into maybe you know some ill-advised shots, giving up that distance, and and that was the big advantage that Ryan had going into this fight. He had the size, he had the reach, and quite frankly, he was the bigger guy. And, and so it would have made sense for him to stay on the outside. Now, one of the things coming into that fight is Ryan throws a good amount of jabs, but he's unable to land those jabs. I think when you look at it, sometimes the timing uh, that is required to really be effective on the outside, and just the overall boxing prowess is something that's been lacking with Garcia, and I think that's one of the things that was one of my big question marks going into this. I just didn't think Ryan Garcia was a good enough boxer um, in order to be able to use those advantages in his favor against Tank, who I thought was a much better boxer than people have given him credit for over the years, and I think we saw that on Saturday. So I I think that you know, going back to it, it, it's very interesting that Ryan gave up that distance, and that really would have been
0: his blueprint for success. And you mentioned Garcia just not being a good enough boxer. Tank Dave is very calculated in the ring when it comes to the sport of boxing. And then when he started going to the body a little bit more, let's just take it to that final round where he knocks him out, where just Garcia not being able to get up. What did you think about him leaving himself open to allow Tank? And when you in the arena, did it seem like, hey, this fight's over after that shot?
3: Yeah, you know, it was interesting because we're, we're in the arena, you know, we saw – Usually, for those kind of liver shots, it looked like a liver shot, those body punches. You do see a delayed reaction. This is probably more delayed than I'm used to seeing, uh, you know, because he, Ryan, took a few steps back, and all of a sudden, it registered, and then once he went down, you know, you thought there was a chance he might get up. He, he dropped to a knee, but ultimately, just was not able to continue, and, and you know, I, I give Ryan credit for trying to make it a fight. I think, honestly, when, he, when you look at it, he was most comfortable and most successful when he was on the inside trying to bully Tank. And I think that that's an admirable approach. And, and, you know, because of how good he felt while doing that, I mean, you look at what he did in the second round, that's when he was successful, um, you know, before the knockdown. And it's why the judges, you know, only gave Tank a 10-9 round on two cards. And uh, Dave Moretti actually gave, uh, scored it a 10-10, which showed you how effective Garcia was that he was able to negate the knockdown. And the other thing that I think was an interesting component in this fight was that Ryan wasn't really bothered by Tank's power, which was something that was talked about throughout the buildup. And I think that he ate that shot in the second pretty well. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think Tank is going to be able to hit Ryan Garcia cleaner than he did in the second. You know, he caught him blind with the, with the counter hook, and, you know, he got him flush. And Ryan shook it off pretty well, didn't seem, you know, really hurt. It was more or less a flash knockdown. And I think that the only way Tank was going to be able to get Ryan out of there was going to be with a body shot. And so I think you have to give Tank a ton of credit for that.
0: Now let's look let's look forward a little bit when it comes to both of these fighters with Tank Davis. I mean, 135, it is stacked now. You've got the, uh, the four princes, as they like to call them, inside that division with Devin Haney and Lomachenko going to be coming up. But do you think that Javante Davis is ready for, let's say, uh, Devin Haney or Shakur Stevenson? Yeah, I think he's ready. I think the issue is
3: going to be, you know, is, is he willing to take on those risks? You know, I got, you know, I talked to him in 2021 and we actually had an interesting back and forth because, you know, this was right after Teofimo Lopez had beaten Vasily Lomachenko to, to win uh, three out of the four major belts uh, in the lightweight division. I still say that Devin Haney had a belt and so I didn't want to call Teal uh, undisputed. But, you know, that was the top feat in the division and I brought that up to Tank. and He said, no, 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 I have the top feat. I said, Tank, well, you haven't really beaten anybody of consequence, we're being honest. (laughs) And my issue with Tank, you know, and I left him off our ESPN pound-for-pound list that I believe is already up. And the main reason why is that I do think that he is going to be, uh, he's positioned himself to be the the face of boxing and the potential cash cow, that crossover star that boxing has really lacked in recent years. You know, you can make an argument for Canelo. You can make an argument for for Tyson. But the kind of buzz, the kind of turnout that we saw on Saturday – is really reserved for certain kind of fighters, and I think Tank is really moving himself into that echelon. But his quality of opponents just isn't there. You know, he still does not hold a legitimate championship in the 135 pound division, and he hasn't held a legitimate championship in quite some time. I believe the last one that he won was that you know when the WBA allowed him to fight for two two belts in two different weight classes uh, when he beat Leo Santa Cruz, who was not. Uh, is a guy who's you know supposed to be in that division and, and tank you know ultimately knocked him out. I think the issue for Tank and, and for Leonard Ellerby or whoever is going to be advising him moving forward is what is it going to look like now because you know the opponents that are are going to be champions like your Shakur's, like your Devin Haney's, it's gonna cost a lot of money to make those fights happen. Those guys maybe don't have the followings that, of Orion of Garcia that it would warrant to pay him that kind of money and there's going to be a lot of risk involved in those fights. So for Tank to kind of get the recognition he deserves, he's going to have to maybe sacrifice a little bit, maybe leave some money on the table if he really wants to prove how great he is.
0: But let's say let's keep it moving. Let's, I want to keep talk, keep talking about Devin Haney a little bit because that fight with Lomachenko, do you see him coming out on top and do you think Shakur Stevenson should get the winner of that? Because I know all the reasons that you mentioned that maybe the Tank fight might it's not going to happen in the next year, maybe even the next year or two, but I really want to see Shakur Stevenson Devin Haney. Do you think that happens?
3: Yeah, I think that's going to be the the likely fight. I mean, obviously Devin you know, it depends on if Devin moves up to 140. I think that's going to be the big question mark with Shakur coming in at 135. You know, Devin's going to be at the end of his top-ranked deal, I believe, according to our uh, ESPN's Mike Coppinger. And I think that would be a fight still I would like to see before Devin goes up to 140, uh, if he ends up winning this fight against Alomachenko. I, I think what's going to be interesting about this fight is is the one question that I have about Devin Haney is that I, I think he's an excellent boxer. You know, he looks the part. You know, he, he was impressed. He's always impressive you know, in his media workouts, just so technically sound. The, the only issue is I just don't know if he has the power required to really keep a guy off him. Now, you know, I think the mistake that George Kambosis made, you know, was that he kind of gave Haney maybe a little too much respect and was, wasn't was willing to maybe take a shot to give one, much like Kambosis was against Teofimo Lopez. And I think if you're Vasily Lomachenko, you go in there, and you have to start quickly, which which Lomachenko doesn't do. Uh, but he's got to be willing to, to engage and really not be concerned with Haney's power. And I, I think that right now, you know, talking about Tank, talking about Devin, talking about Shakur, of those three, I think most people... Sorry, that Shakur is the best one of that bunch. And so... I would love to see a Shakur, Devin Haney fight, and I would love tank to, to potentially try to get that winner, and hopefully that's a big enough fight for that to happen.
0: I can't. I couldn't agree with you more. Again, we're talking Ben Baby from ESPN. Yeah, pulled up your top ten rankings, and Davis is not in there, but I want to take it back to Garcia as well. We can't forget about him. He mentioned after the fight he's definitely moving up to 140. Without a doubt, who do you see him fighting at 140, and do you think he's in that same realm, or would it be feasible for him to fight Teofimo Lopez?
3: That's a really interesting fight. I think Tiafima Lopez is going to be at a crossroads here. You know, he's got a fight against Josh Taylor coming up uh, in New York. And, you know, I, I think that Josh Taylor is going to be hands down a favorite in that fight, even though he's going to be, I believe, the smaller fighter, you know, going into that. I, I think that Taylor is such a, a quality uh, champion. And, and you saw what he's done aside from, you know, his, his loss to a Jack, or I guess his disputed win against Jack Catterall. Uh, you know, he's been really good with wins against Regis Progray, Jose Ramirez. Uh, he, he he has the goods, and Tio just has not really lived up to what people thought he would be after he beat Lomachenko a couple of years ago. I think there's a lot of questions about maybe the voices in his corner, specifically his father, and whether that's good or bad for him. I think a lot of people would argue it's probably having an adverse effect on his development and growth because he has the physical skill set. But I would like to see a Ryan garcia Fima lopez fight, regardless of what happens. You know, maybe there's some other options in the mix. Maybe a guy like Regis Progray, who, who's really talented, and, and you know, his, his uh, status is up in the air about what he's going to be doing next. But, but I, I think that there's going to be a lot of what we saw from Ryan, his willingness to engage, make big fights, be entertaining. I, I think that he's going to be a guy that is going to be a star in boxing for years to come, because he gives fans what they want. He has an appetite of of being, you know, essentially he's a content creator. That's what he's been for years. And he knows how to deliver good content, whether that be in the ring or out of the ring. And in boxing, that is so key because ultimately this is a, 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 that's part of being a prize fighter is, is being a showman and being able to put on quality performances. And I think Ryan is going to be really intriguing at 140, especially as he continues to develop, which I think he's done over the last few
0: years. Ben, baby, thank you for breaking it down better than anyone else. Before I let you go, let everybody know what you got going on.
3: Yeah, you know we'll be covering the NFL draft uh, here over at ESPN. But in terms of boxing, we've got actually a really big series coming up over the course of the year. We're starting in May. We're going to be taking a look at some of the key issues in the sport of boxing that that we we talk about, but never really figure out why is that case? Whether that be fighter pay, you know, questionable judging, you know, too many belts, too many weight classes. Why the best aren't fighting the best? These are all topics we're hoping to get into in this year, starting you know with May in a, in a breakdown of, of why the best aren't fighting the best in the sport. So that's something we're really excited about, and, and keep an eye out for that series.
0: Oh, man, I'm looking forward to that already. You got me excited about I want to ask you more now about what you got coming up, but I know I got to let you go. Thank you so much for joining me here on the fight game. I
3: appreciate you having me.
0: And that was Ben Baby from ESPN. You can follow him at Ben underscore Baby on Twitter. If you want to check out everything that he's got going on, appreciate him breaking down the Garcia versus Davis fight. And boy, was it one that fans will remember. Tank Davis climbing up the rankings. Garcia, where's he going after this? It's all going to be very exciting to see. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a little UFC. Don't go anywhere. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game.
1: Welcome back to The Fight Game.
0: Nothing but illustrious guests here on The Fight Game. Please, to introduce my next guest returning to the show, Gilbert Burns. I was down there in Miami when you fought Jorge Masvidal. Man, this has been such a short turnaround for you. How's the body feeling with such a short turnaround from fight to fight?
4: Body feels great. You know, I, got, I didn't got any damage against against Masvidal, you know. And then the player was to be a backup in July. But then when I hear that, 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 that the champs not defending his belt until October, I say, you know what? He's going to get busy again. And as I start thinking about it, opportunity just show up. and you know, unfortunately, uh, the, the former champ, Charles, I pulled out on his flight. I saw a spot in the main. I saw Bilal Mohammed challenging Kobe. And you know what? Just jump on the opportunity and then... Body's been very good, you know, even though it's going to be my 3rd weight cut in very small space. But I have an amazing team that I'm investing a lot of time and money. I have great psychologists, nutritionists, a PT, strength and conditioning, all working together, you know, giving me a couple of days off, giving me, okay, today we're going to do hyperbaric ice massage, these and that. So body feels great, and I cannot wait for,
0: for Saturday. And I also want to take it back to Miami because after your fight with Jorge, you did mention that, hey, you wanted to be the backup fighter for the next championship fight. How important was it for you when you took this fight here that you told that the UFC, that the winner of this fight, hey, if you do win this one, that you get a championship opportunity?
4: Yeah, that, that was the deal. Whenever we, 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 we signed the deal, the UFC made it super clear. Whoever wins this fight is the number one contender. But they still said that Kobe is still going to be next in line. So, let's see. If everything goes on my way on Saturday, I believe it will. I still want to become the backup. You know, whenever these guys fight, I still want to go over there because, like I said, opportunities are showing up every single day, and I'm getting ready to every single day get a new opportunity. Why not just go there, Abu Dhabi, whatever they, they book, and make weight and be ready. You know, if, if the opportunity comes, I'll take it. If it doesn't come, at least I'll be ready for these guys. i watch those guys super closely. And, uh, and yeah, I still want to be a backup. If I'm not uh, the next, if, if you still got a wait for Kobe and Leo, I'll be the next. I'll be the backup 100%.
0: Oh, man, thank you for uh, for clarifying that for me. Again, we're talking to Gilbert Burns here on the fight game, so I've got to ask, with you taking this fight on short notice, I mean, just a couple of weeks, not just short notice, but a couple of weeks out from the fight, I was in Miami, and if it doesn't even feel like it was two weeks ago for you to get another fight. What's the compensation? Like, you don't have to give me numbers, but the UFC taking care of you? They're
4: always taking care <laughs> yeah. of me, my guy. Always taking care, and uh, they're doing an amazing job and everything goes my way, like, it's very really very risky fight, you know? It was a lot to lose. Like I said, they, they said I'll be a backup, and then I still take another risk. Uh, it's a uh, key will be cute, you know, so I go then. there, and I beat Mohammed. I believe in getting a very nice new contract, and I'm fighting for the title, you know. Uh, and I'm being compensated for this fight, but if I lose, you know, it's like three steps behind, so is a QBQ situation. I'm looking forward to take the most of these these opportunity. Go out there Saturday and finish Bilal Muhammad, earn that title shot, get a new contract, and then a rest like at least one <laughs> more one month full rest. You know.
0: Yeah, at, at least at least a month, man. You're you're an animal. You're a machine for taking this this fight on such short notice after the Jorge fight. But I've got to ask you, Bilal Muhammad. How do you see this fight going? I mean, you guys are at the top of the welterweight division. How do you see you matching up against Balal?
4: I think I'll match up good, but I still think it's going to be a very tough fight. He's a warrior. He's the only guy that is very hungry in the division besides me. Uh, Has a good volume. You know, likes to throw a lot of strikes. Uh, Like to go forward a little bit. Does everything very good. Know how to win fights. Uh, being on the road, you know, the guy would be of the boy, Danny my uh, defender center uh, Sean Brady, he's 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 good, you know, the guy cannot be denied, boy. I think he's very tough. But I do believe he's doing everything right, but I just believe it's, it's, it's my turn, you know, it's my time to get this shot, and I think it's going to be a war, you know. I do believe he can finish this fight, he can even knock him out, TKO, or submitting him, or... I can dominate him and and get a a, a war in a decision. I just think he's not a quitter. And the fans are into a good fight. You know, he's a warrior. I'm a warrior. He don't quit. I definitely don't quit. It's going to be a crazy fight.
0: I want to go back to something that you said there. When it comes to, hey, this is your time, I I know age is just a number, but do you feel like you're in your prime of your career right now? 100%, 100%
4: 100 percent, 100 percent of the story. True, you no know, fighting. Three fights back to back to earn a title shot. And uh, the lessons that I learned on the Kamara's fight, the lessons that I learned on Shimaya's fight, fighting anyone at any time, back to back fight, Yeah, I think I'm on my prime. I think uh, I'm 36, 20, 30, 37 this year. But the amount of work that I'm putting, in, the, the the team that I built, the, the 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 investments that I do, the the people, the the there's more people that is on my team working with me, getting me ready every single day. The habits that I changed since November, co-plunging every day, eating no sugar, eating super healthy, a lot of money on the food, a lot of money on nutrition, psychologist. Yeah, I think I, I do believe I'm on, I'm on my prime and a lot more to come in my career.
0: Huh, I think you said a lot of money on, on the psychology as well. What goes into the mindset of getting you ready for these fights? Yeah, a lot
4: of money on my whole team, you know, psychology and everything. I got to be ready for these opportunities, you know, and especially whenever I go to a fight, I got to get to a zone that I got to I gotta have the level of acceptance that I might get hurt to win this fight. I might get frustrated, and uh, I might get in a bad position. I might get cut, and I'm going to keep fighting. So to get in that zone... It's not easy, you know. I, I do believe, still believe, a lot of fighters don't get on that zone. You know, they get frustrated super quick. They think about quitting when, when they got a when something happens. But I get on this level, bro, and, and the hardest thing is to get out of this level. You know, sometimes I get on such a dark place going to a fight that sometimes it takes me a week, a couple of days to get out of that zone, you know, to, to get out of the octagon. The sometimes it's after the fight, I four Saturday night Monday, I closed my eyes. I still in to go, you know, so it, it takes a little time. And the psychologist working on that on that kind of going in and out of the zone is it, being super important because when I'm done fighting, i still going to promote my fight. still going to do a bunch of interviews. But then I'm a husband. I'm a father again. Then <laughs> that's what happens. And the mindset of fighting, get on that zone. And then we out of the zone, went to Universal with the kids, got a little travel with my wife. Boom, got another fight, then I'm back from that zone again. So to go in and out of that zone, I think just by myself a couple of years ago, would be very hard to do that. But with the team that I do, the investment that that, that are been made is kind of helping me a lot to, to go in the zone, to get out of the zone, to go back to the zone, to stay in shape, to keep working, maintain that consistency.
0: Again, we're talking to Gilbert Burns here on The Fight Game. He's going to be taking on Bilal Muhammad in the co-main event at UFC 288. I've got to ask you, you've started to gain the reputation as a banger. You are someone who's going to go in there, and you're going to stand and trade. But do you think that people forget about the grappling background that you have and that you are an accomplished guy when it comes to taking the fight on the ground? Yeah, sometimes I gotta
4: remind these guys, and I love it that I got I gotta lem- remind these guys a little bit. So yeah, so sometimes I gotta remind, them, and I like it, you know, because I am an, an actual grappler. I am. Uh, uh, I can't blow. I can't fight, but I gotta take the approach. Sometimes I gotta fight smart, you know. And uh, I showed that on the Magnify. I showed that on the Masdel fight. Let's see what we have to show when Bilal Muhammad fights. I'm that I might get into a blow a little bit. Sometimes I think I'm going to grapple. But the great thing is, you got to need to see what I'm going to do. You got to need to find out.
0: All right, Gilbert, last thing I want to ask you because I got to get your take on this. If it does come down to who you fight, if you win this one, I'm not saying do you overlook Bilal, but if you do win this one, the championship fight, would you rather fight Kobe or Leon? Uh,
4: I'd rather fight Kobe. That, that's a fight that I've been looking for for years. But thinking I'm going to be in a matchup and everything, I, I was kind of towards Kobe. But I think Leon's going to win. I just think if that fight really happens, I think Leon's going to win. And I would love to fight both guys. You know, like, I want to become a champion. Whoever's holding the belt is the one that I'm looking for. Again, like you said, I know overlooking Bilal Muhammad. He's a warrior. that I'm going to have on Saturday. I'm looking forward so much to this fight. But, yeah, everything goes on my way Saturday. Whoever's holding the belt, I think it'll be Leo, but I would love to fight both guys.
0: Gilbert Burns, thank you so much for joining me on The Fight Game. Before I let you go, what do you tell every, What do you want to tell everybody that's listening right now?
4: Everybody, so thank you, all you guys, for the support. Make sure you guys tune in. Your C288, great fight. Uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't you miss this one. It's going to be a great fight. Make sure you tune in. Get your pay per view. Come here for Manchester. In New Jersey, it's going to be a great fight. So
0: tune in. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, brother. Have a good one. And that was Gilbert Burns. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to his opponent this coming Saturday at UFC 288. Remember the name, Bilal Muhammad. Don't go anywhere. This is the Fight Game on 12:30. The game. Welcome back to the Fight Game. Nothing but illustrious guests here on The Fight Game, and I'm pleased to introduce my next guest. He's going to be taking on Gilbert Burns at UFC 288 this Saturday, Bilal Muhammad. Remember the name? How important is this fight for you in your career? I know that this is a big fight, but how important was this fight? Like, hey, if I win this, I need a title shot to get that guarantee from the UFC.
1: Yeah, man, it's the biggest fight of my career. It's the biggest fight of my life. Uh, It's the one that, you know, you wait for and you hope for because you know that the next step is going to be the gold. And when they called me for the opportunity, just, I had no hesitation. I had to say, yeah.
0: Yeah, so take me back to getting that call, because this is pretty much a short-notice fight for the both of you guys. When you got the call, obviously you're like, hey, I want to fight. You're a fighter. But but was there any trepidation at all about, hey, like, can we push it back a little bit? Or, hey, you guys give me the opponent and the place, and I'll be there.
1: Yeah, I want to be one of those guys, man. I want to be one of those guys that UFC can call on anytime they need them. And, you know, those guys are the ones that the fans remember. Those guys are the ones that the fans uh, always want to watch, the ones that always step up when it's, they're needed. And, you know, just getting that guarantee that winning this fight, you're next for the title, uh, there is no hesitation after hearing that.
0: Yeah, you are one of the top contenders in the welterweight division. So how do you see this fight? I'm not asking you to give me your entire game plan for Gilbert Burns, but what do you think, what do you think is the path for victory for you going into this fight?
1: Um, honestly, I think I guess I'm better everywhere, and I can take the fight anywhere I want it to go. And I think that uh, it's going to open up a lot of people's eyes with the way I performed this weekend. And they're going to be wondering and trying to figure out what else am I capable of doing.
0: Again, we're talking to Bilal Muhammad here on the Fight Game on 12:30. The game. So when you say, "Hey, you're going to show everybody what you can do," I was one of these guys. I think you said it yesterday at media day as well, where I wanted this to be five rounds. Did you also want this fight to be five rounds? Yeah, for sure.
1: I wanted. That's what I asked for too. Because I think it's the title fight. I think I think of it as, mm-hmm. as the biggest fight of my life. And uh, I think we're both championship fighters, and we both should be fighting five rounds every single fight we have. So, to me, it was like a no-brainer. I think it it had to be. It wasn't one of those things that I had to second-guess myself or second-guess my cardio or anything because I know that. For me, I'm a champion, and any time they call me, I can fight five rounds on a day's notice.
0: You mentioned how you can fight five rounds on a day's notice. So I've got to ask you, what's the camp been like? Are you always ready? When Like, what's the weight cut been? Because as we all know, short notice fight. Were you were you just ready as soon as they called you? Or did you need to get and work your way into shape?
1: No, I mean, I'm a guy that's always training. I never have camps. It's like once I have a fight, I turn it up a little bit. And I'm always a guy that over trains anyway. So for me, it's probably like I'm at the right spot of where most fighters are right now uh, in their camps after a long eight weeks anyway. So uh, I should be good, and uh, weight's coming off good, so uh, should be
0: everything should be smooth. So, Blow, I've got to ask you, I mean, this fight, when you look at it on the odds makers out here in Vegas, it's about even, but do you feel that from the public perception that you're an underdog coming into this fight?
1: Yeah, I always feel that way. I always feel that people are doubting me and uh, underestimating me, and I love that. That, that puts a chip on my shoulder, and it just makes me want to work that much harder prove all the people wrong.
0: Oh man, I love it because that that underdog, that chip on your shoulder. I mean, after the Abu Dhabi fight against Brady, that was the fight that opened my eyes. I'll be honest, where this guy he deserves a title shot. And I know you already mentioned that it was important for the UFC to say, hey, this is gonna, the winner of this fight gets a title shot. But what did you think of people coming out and saying, hey, I want to be the backup fighter? Were you one of those guys that was just thought, no way, if I win a, if I win my next fight, this has to be a title fight? Yeah, for sure.
1: I'm not going to be a backup. I'm not going to sit there and weigh in. I, I earned my spot to have a full camp and a full date uh, for the, you know, the rightful title shot. And I think
0: winning this fight, there's nothing else that needs to be done. So I've got to ask you about the guys at the top of 170. You got the champion, Leon Edwards. Kobe uh, Covington, undeservedly in my opinion, is the number one contender which one of those guys do you think you would match up better against? I know you can't look past Gilbert, no, n- not whatsoever, but who do you think you match up better against when it comes to, if you win this fight, who do you prefer to fight as a champion?
1: Uh, honestly, I, I prefer to fight uh, Leon just because we have unfinished business.
0: Of course. Uh, but of I course. match
1: up well with either one of those guys. But uh, definitely would want to get that one back with Leon. But, of course, anytime I get offered a fight against Kobe Covington, that will be fun.
0: Again, we're talking to Bilal Muhammad here on the Fight Game on twelve thirty. The game, all right. Just want to have a little fun with you now, man. What's the walkout song gonna be for Saturday?
1: Uh, just my normal one, that uh, a Palestinian song that I always walk out to that gets me hyped all the time. So uh, it's called "Demi Palestina."
0: So I know that you're probably at the peak where you want to be. Mentally, physically, spiritually, coming off of Ramadan, I know a lot of people made a little bit of it. Hey, he was—he's been fasting for all of these weeks, you know, before the fight. And does that actually play a factor into it, or is it just something you're accustomed to because you've done it all your life?
1: I mean, it obviously plays a factor into training and everything, but I think mm-hmm. it only makes me stronger, and uh, it just builds up my character and my my will.
0: So, got to ask you—I mean, so the strong will you just said there. Do you see this being a fight that goes the distance? I know you said that you're comfortable with it which, wherever the fight may go, whether that be on the feet or on the ground. Do you think that this fight goes the distance? So you guys are two tough guys, two top guys in the welterweight division. No, honestly, I
1: don't think so. I think it's going uh, to end early. It's one of those fights where he's always going to bring it, and my mindset now is to make a statement with this win right here. So uh, to make a statement, I need to get a big finish.
0: Bilal Muhammad, thank you so much for joining me on the fight game, man. Best of luck to you on Saturday. Before I let you go, what do you want to let the people know before you get out of here?
1: Appreciate you, bro, man. Uh, To all the people out there that support me, make sure you tune in this Saturday. It's going to be one of the best shows you're ever going to see.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. How are you going, bro? That was Bilal Muhammad. Remember the name. And, yes, he's going to be taking on Gilbert Burns this Saturday, the Prediction Center, UFC 288. I cannot wait. That is going to be the fight of the night Believe me when I say that. And when we come back for our number two of the show, we're going to be talking to the main event. Henry Cejudo is going to be joining us, followed by Al Sterling. Don't go anywhere. We've got you covered for UFC 288. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Why do you want to fight?
2: This is The Fight Game game. with Demond Cotton. Cotton.
0: And welcome back to the fight game on 1230 the game as we kick off. Haven't said this one before ever while doing the show as we kick off our number two. That's got a good ring to it. I mean, what do you think? Maybe the show should be two hours. Maybe we should just go two hours full time. Now, a little update in this hour. We do have Henry Cejudo, Algermaine Sterling, Rich Franklin, Amy Kaplan, all joining us on the show Obviously, Henry and Aljo, the main event for UFC 288, Rich Franklin on behalf of one championship and Amy Kaplan from fansite at MMA, but also going to be talking a little Vanderpump rules. So we usually don't do this on the show, but with the second hour, I've got some things I want to get off my chest. So let's jump into a few good minutes.
1: Excuse me. I need a moment of silence so I can get into a meditative state where I block out any and all irritating white noise. I call it my happy place.
0: Oh momento! Oh momento! I'll do you one better. Wait a minute. I see what's going on here. I'll do
5: you one better. Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
0: A few minutes later... All right, so I just want to touch on a couple of stories around the world of sports that maybe they don't fall into the view exactly of the fight game, but some things that I still want to touch on. Poking Bears. Dylan Brooks, the Lakers guard slash forward, last week in that playoff series where the Memphis Grizzlies would match up against the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round, mentioned, hey, he likes poking Bears. LeBron's old. He doesn't care. Well, it turns out he maybe should have cared. He should have, you know, respected LeBron's game a little bit more. as The Los Angeles Lakers beat them in the first round in six, advancing on to the semifinals in the Western Conference playoffs. But I don't like how Dylan Brooks is getting railroaded by the media now where, yes, maybe he shouldn't have said, hey, LeBron's which is a fact, but maybe he just didn't need to say it because LeBron is still performing like a top five player in the NBA. I mean, they won game one against Golden State. LeBron is still performing at a very high level, no doubt about it. But Dylan Brooks, this entire season, his entire tenure with the Grizzlies, him being one of the elder statesmen, the, only, the oldest player on the team is Stephen Adams, and he's only 29. So Dylan Brooks being, what, 26 or 27, he is one of the elder statements on the Grizzlies roster. So I didn't mind all of the trash talk. This is a team where a couple of years ago, Jaron Jackson was talking trash to Klay Thompson. And I think that's what really kicked off that rivalry there between the Grizzlies and the and the Golden State Warriors, where Klay Thompson had to get into a postgame press conference and like mention how he really wanted to beat the Grizzlies because of something that Jaron Jackson said where this is the identity of this team. John Morant had a turbulent season where it comes down to, hey, man, he's fighting teenagers. You know, he's got a gun every time you see him. He So much that he needed to take a break away from the team. So I feel like when when the that's been the culture that's been set. Now, if the Grizzlies want to come out and say, hey, man, we, we need a cultural reset, maybe that's something. But I don't know who leaked to who, but I know it wasn't Dylan Brooks' camp as they have refuted Shamsarani's report about the Grizzlies are saying under no circumstances will Dylan Brooks be brought back. And maybe that is how the Grizzlies feel, but why is it coming out this way? Where, yes, this guy was talking the most trash, but in everything, every outline, every case that I just outlined for you, I don't think that Dylan Brooks was the biggest problem for the Memphis Grizzlies, me being a Grizzlies fan. Where it's, yeah, Maybe he shouldn't have been talking as much trash. But that's the team identity, the young, cocky, brash team that's not afraid of anybody in the NBA. And Draymond did have the quote, the dynasty starts once they move you. And he could be right about that. I'm not saying that the Grizzlies should without a doubt keep him. I'm not campaigning for Dylan Brooks to come back to the Grizzlies. I just don't like the way this is being reported on in the media. You got... Kendrick Perkins out here, he's like, ah, man, he doesn't like it either. But he was the same guy that was pouring honey or whatever on Dylan Brooks on live TV. You can't have it both ways. Where I just I just want to stand up for my guy. I mean, yeah, he's probably not going to be on the Grizzlies next year. I wish him the best of luck wherever he goes. I know I said once they get rid of him, I'm not going to miss him when he goes. But just the way that it's been coming out where it's like, give the guy a break. What did he do that was so bad? Now, I go from, hey, you know what Dylan Brooks did? It wasn't that bad. (laughs) Hey, guys, now that the team's out of the playoffs, it wasn't that bad. Okay, let him back. Was it that big of a deal? Who cares that he said he was going to poke a bear or two? I liked every bit of it. Still love the Grizzlies. But like, like Draymond said, maybe this is where the dynasty starts now that the team moves on from Dylan Brooks. Who, let's just say it. Hasn't been performing the best, but I still, I love the moxie, as people would say. Something else I wanted to talk about in a few good minutes, Jessica Alba making an appearance at the NBA playoffs. The Knicks game, Julius Randle sent her the personal invite, Jessica Alba, and she was sitting right next to Sauce Gardner and Aaron Rodgers for the Jets. Now, this is very intriguing to me because Sauce Gardner basically had to say, I don't know who that is. He going on Twitter to say, "I've seen her in a couple of movies, but I just didn't know her by name." And you would think Sauce Garner, what are you talking about? This is one of the most beautiful actress uh, actresses of the 21st century. But Sauce Garner's is only what 22, 23 years old. He was may was probably wasn't even talking when Honey came out. So I, I want to give him a break there because hey, I mean you know. Give him a break a little bit, I guess, that he doesn't know who Jessica Alba is. But these NBA playoffs have been great. I remember saying this on Raider Nation Radio, and a fan got mad. He's like, oh, I think when people say the league is better when the Raiders are good, they're ju- that's just something that they say about sorry teams. Look at these NBA playoffs. Look at the Knicks. Everyone is happier. The, I mean, the league is better off when the Knicks are good. Same for the Raiders at football. These big market teams, these legacy teams, it goes hand in hand. That. The league is better when these people are playing, when these people are in it. Uh, And now we do have Henry Cejudo. So let's go ahead and get Henry Cejudo on the line.
6: Let's get it on!
0: Joining me now on the phone lines is Triple C, the illustrious Henry Cejudo. Man, thank you so much for joining me on the fight game. This fight, Al Sterling, UFC 288. How are you feeling going into this fight?
6: Uh... I'm feeling good, bro. Feeling really, really good. Feeling sharp, feeling strong, feeling good. You know, the whole nine.
0: Yeah, so I've got to ask you, how has this camp been? I mean, watching the Embedded, watching the Countdown Series, where it looks like you've taken your training to another level. So what's the camp been like for you heading into this fight?
6: Uh, would. It's been good, man. I've been methodically, you know, thinking about this day for the last year, and I've never felt—I've never felt—I never felt better. Weight's good. Technique is good. The threshold is good. And boy, I can't wait to have some Jamaican jerk chicken come May 6th.
7: <laughs>
0: yeah, man. I've got to ask you. You said you like physically, you're good. The weight's good. But what's it like mentally after you know having a couple of years off from being inside the octagon? What's it like mentally for you to get prepared for this fight?
6: Uh, it's been good, man. It's been uh, it's been really, really good. The fact that everybody's been uh, everybody's been on point, man. Like the whole team. I'm sorry. What was your question? I'm kind of losing here.
0: Oh, no, you're good, man. Uh, mentally, I mean, mentally, you being inside the octagon after this layoff, how, how are you feeling? How are you preparing mentally?
6: It's a business trip, bro. I'm good mentally. You know, I, I, now I, I got to talk. Everything that I'm saying, I got to back it up now. Mm-hmm. If not, I'm just, I'm just like a parrot. I'm also aware that, that this, is, uh, this is personal. It's a business. And I'm here to put this dude down six feet under.
0: All right, I've got to ask you. You mentioned how you're ready to have some Jamaican jerk chicken. When it comes to being the king of cringe, I know that some people they can't stand it. I personally, I love it because I'm a fan of pro wrestling, so I love all of the trash <laughs> talk. Do, do you? Are you planning out like when you come? To some of you hitting up a pinata? Are you planning out different ways to troll Aljo, or or is it just spot of the moment?
6: Oh uh, no. You know what I'm saying? What do you think, bro? You know, I'm the king of cringe, but you know, I got some things up my sleeve. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know I'm. Yeah, like I said, man, I'm a fan pro wrestling. I love every bit of it. You're welcome. All right, again, we're talking to Henry Cejudo here on the Fight Game. Something else I want to ask you about. I know that you're not trying to look too far past Aljo, but I've got to ask if you were to reclaim your title at 135, what would be next for you?
6: Uh, I want, I want O'Malley. I want that dirty Q-tip. You know, I want him and I want his privileged ass. I want I want that dirty Q tip. And then after that I'm going after Alexander the Average.
0: <laughs> uh, so man, the move up to one forty five, I know you are one of the greatest combat athletes of all time. I know I asked you this down at the Super Bowl, but I've got to ask you again, what drives you? What like what is it that makes you wanna say, Hey, I'll do it I'll do this some more, I'll do this again? Because you've proven enough.
6: The challenge. The challenge of uh, the challenge of me—it's it's, something—it's something within me, man. It has nothing to do with nobody, really. I do like the doubts, so though. I will say that. But it's the challenge within me. Yeah,
0: you know, you're talking the about challenge the-
6: within me that's really gonna take me to a whole other level.
0: You were talking about the doubters. Have you heard, or have you been looking at any of the online? Because I've seen that this is just about a pick pick'em fight here in Vegas. But are you seeing that people are calling you the underdog? Is that surprising for you? To, for you to be the underdog?
6: Uh, they can, I don't. I really don't care. I really don't care. You know, that that stuff doesn't matter to me. I know what I got to get done. Whether you're the underdog or you're the favorite. I know I'm gonna get the job done. But...
0: All right, now we know that Al Jermaine Sterling, he likes to, you know, say the backpack strategy once he gets on the back, but you're an Olympic wrestler. I mean, you're you one of the you got some of the best wrestling in the UFC. So how do you see this fight playing out for yourself?
6: Um I see I see myself knocking this dude out within three rounds. That's how I see it. Ooh. You
0: know,
6: I can care too I can care too less about his cheap ass backpack. <laughs> if I
0: bought at Walmart. I'm getting I'm getting rid of this dude in 3. All right man, I, I love the confidence. I love how you you got like you said earlier, you got to back up what you say, but I mean, this also something I want to ask you. You being one of the the most prominent Mexican-American stars in the UFC, is there any significance for you for fighting on Cinco de Mayo weekend or just being like a big draw for the UFC?
6: No, whether it was New Year's or my birthday, I got to get the job. Today. I really don't care.
0: I'm here to smoke this dude. All right, and I get, I wish you nothing but the best. I know that you got to run, so thank you so much for joining me here on The Fight Game, Henry. All righty, thank you.
1: Welcome back to The Fight Game with Damon Cotton.
0: Joining me now on the phone lines is the phantom weight champion of the world at 135, Algermaine Sterling. Coming into this fight, man, I've got to ask you, How are you feeling? How are you preparing for this fight? I I mean, I know it's been a battling camp for you, but how are you feeling for this fight?
2: I'm feeling really good. I'm excited. I'm motivated, and uh, I'm looking forward to this test of this challenge and seeing if this uh, seeing this man is all talk or (laughs) all bark.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've talked to Henry earlier today, so I've got to ask. You know, he said he's got to back up the war of words that you have have you enjoyed that part of the fight i know you've got to build up the fight you've got to sell it but is at the end of the is it just professional or do you guys really not like each other
2: i mean i have no issue with the guy other than he signed the contract to fight me
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know
2: um, other than that um, he's not my cup of tea in terms of a person but you know i could take him in doses <laughs> Other than that, uh, what kind of 36-year-old man dresses like that, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> that's the only thing about him that really annoys me. Uh, other than that, uh, he seems like a good family man, so I can't really put too much of a knock on that. Uh, I can respect that, and uh, I know he's a tough competitor, and that's that's really it. So this is just about legacy and who's trying to get the bag and continue their, their push towards bigger and bigger things bigger and better things for this division and for, yeah,
0: for their legacy. All right, you mentioned legacy. I've got to ask you, with a win on Saturday at UFC 288, do you think that that's going to solidify you as the best Bantamweight in UFC history?
2: Um, I let the fans decide that. It's hard for me to, yeah, it's really hard for me to put my my name in the hat. You know, I, I think I can make I think there's an argument for me to be in that conversation, but I leave that ultimately to the fans to make that decision and look at my stats, look at what I've done recently, and I think for me it still seems like it's Dominic Cruz. I, I just count his wins from the WC days mm-hmm. still to the modern
0: day. So that's that's kind of the way I look at it. Again, we're talking to Aljamain Sterling, UFC Bantamweight champion. I've got to ask you, you talked about legacy. What what would be next after this? I mean, are we going to see that move up to 145 if you get this win over Henry?
2: We'll see. I'm taking things one fight at a time. I'm not trying to rush or make any mistakes and trying to look like past my opponent or anything like that. Um, one fight at a time. It's definitely in the in the cards. I, I would like to eventually go up because this weight cut's not not very fun for me. I don't think it's fun for anybody, but. I, I'm relatively big for the weight class in terms mm. of how lean I am and and whatnot, so it's, it's not easy. It's never easy. I think I could do well at 145, and we'll see after this fight.
0: Aljo, I've got to ask, man, what are you, what, what you going to be walking out to, man? What's the music? Is it going to be some of your own music? What you coming out to?
2: Uh, I got my song in a mix, in a mix, a New York mix. I think it's going to be cool, and then at the end, we've got a little bit of a, a fun vibe to end it when we get into the octagon, so... It should get the crowd on their feet, get them excited for the, the main event. I like to do it right, man. New Yorkers, we like to have fun on the East Coast. And the Jersey guys, they know how to party too. So we got to do it the right way.
0: All right. How much family you got coming in, man? I know it's, it's just across the bridge going to New Jersey. How many people do you think going to be there supporting you?
2: Uh, at least from my family, I know I should have roughly like eight or ten people. Um, like out of my immediate family. I'm talking mm-hmm. like siblings and my mom. Uh, friends And friends like that, I got a bunch of people coming out, man. I, I can't tell you exactly how much, but it's going to be a big crowd, man. We're going to have a huge East Coast support, and I'm looking forward to walking out to the arena and seeing a lot of familiar faces. All
0: right, algermaine Sterling, UFC 288, the Bantamweight Champion of the World. Before I let you go, tell tell all the fans, I mean, give me the hype. Tell all the fans something that you haven't been talking about on this press tour yet.
2: Well, if there's anything I haven't been talking about yet is what kind of a 36-year-old man dresses like that? I can't allow this man to be champion again, so it's up to me to go out there and rid the UFC of this this trash that decide to come back out of retirement. Um, so I plan on doing that on May 6th. Make sure you guys tune in. This is going to be a great show against two high-level competitors, and I'm going to make sure I, I make this guy back down.
0: Thank you for joining me today. Thanks. And that was the UFC Bantamweight Champion of the World, the Funkmaster Al Jermaine Sterling. It's fight week for the champ, a little press for time. So I understand, you know, had to get him in and out in a hurry. But wait, there's more. I feel like the infomercial guy today on the show, because don't you worry. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Rich Franklin about one championship. So excited for you to hear this conversation. Rich Franklin was in the building a few days ago on our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas. And, you know, the alley-oop, because teamwork makes the dream work. The guys from Co-Film Company said, hey, you want to talk to Rich Franklin? Hell yeah, I do. So glad I was able to sit with him. And you'll hear that conversation next. Don't go anywhere. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game.
1: Welcome back to The Fight Game with Damon Cotton,
0: Nothing but illustrious guests here on the Fight Game and I'm joined by a very special guest, former UFC Middleweight Champion of the World, Rich Ace Franklin and he's here on behalf of One Championship MMA. Rich won the having their first event inside the US. How big of a deal is this for One?
5: Oh, well, this, is, this is huge. This is the culmination of an entire company te- team that's been working on this, the work that we've done over the last several years. You know, we had intended to come into the US some time ago. COVID obviously derailed that. I I explained to people quite frequently like how difficult it is to operate we're based out of singapore so it's difficult to operate in a country that's I don't know, geographically up from cincinnati it's about half the size of cincinnati particularly like after the travel there was all these quarantines when you when you travel in and out of a country so it essentially landlocked us and we had trouble with athletes and amazing what we were capable of accomplishing but it definitely pushed our u.s debut back so we're finally here this friday may 5th cinco de mayo chose a significant fight day for for uh, for an event and we've stacked the card top to bottom we have the rubber match with Demetrius Johnson and Adriana Marias the U S fans are familiar with Demetrius Johnson he's actually teased the fact that he might be retiring after this fight so as uh, outside of uh, an executive that works for the organization as a fan I'm like man this is this could be possibly a sad day but the the trilogy between these two guys uh, if the score is one to one Adriana won the first match needed the head on the ground our rule set actually allows for that. And then in the second match, Demetrius won to a knee to the head. It, it looked like Adriana was down by the the flash photo, and the two pictures side by side almost looked identical. So, this this match has set itself up quite nicely for for a rematch. And this card is is stacked top to bottom. We have we have uh, three three titles that are on the line. We have uh, a Muay Thai title with uh, Rod Tang Jitman Yong. He's taking on a Mexican fighter Ed, uh, at Tabarez. and Mikey Musumeci, an American, is is putting his grappling title on the line as well so you know for the U.S. fans that aren't familiar with one championship it's we won't just have uh, MMA events but we also do Muay Thai kickboxing and grappling and the Muay Thai matches are done in the four ounce gloves so makes for really exciting stand-up fights
0: Something I've got to ask you about when it comes to you being an executive with the company: How are the events where you don't just have MMA, you do have the kickboxing, you do have Muay Thai? How does that like draw in new fans? That maybe you, there's a little bit of flavor for everything for everybody when it comes to being yeah, a fan of one. Yeah,
5: I mean it draws in a lot of fans, and to be honest, you know, our, our CEO Chautry, he had, he had come up with the idea of putting Muay Thai matches initially on the cards. And I, w- I was like, I wasn't a fan, to be honest. Like, it's it's just, I was like, who comes to an MMA fight to watch Muay Thai, right? And, you know, who goes to a basketball game to watch a few innings of baseball? You just, you don't mix sports, even though they seem like the same, same sport because to people on the outside, it's like, well, it's fighting, but... It's quite different when you're on the inside. And then I saw the first event we did with the Muay Thai match and I was like, mm, that was pretty good, but I didn't want to like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then and then the, the second the second event I saw with, with Muay Thai, I was like, Wow, this is really, really good because you you see striking at a completely different level. The fights move quickly. They're are three rounders other than the championship matches, they're five rounders similar to the MMA matches and uh and so it does definitely give this this look at Seeing some of the top level just grappling in the world where people are grappling, and we've done a really good job in the organization with the matchups that we've chosen uh, on on the cars. You know, for example, we have um, Rainier De Ritter, who is our middleweight champ. I think he was a dual champ, and he lost his light heavyweight belt. He's our middleweight MMA champ, but he'll be grappling against a guy by the name of Ty Rotolo, who is one of Andre Galvao's protégés and Rainier de Ritter actually grappled against Andre Galvao. So there's like some history to this match, but stylistically these two guys, they're like the, the kind of guys that push the pace. So I would expect this to be a really exciting grappling matchup for, so for people that, that aren't used to watching grappling and, and seeing grappling without strikes, then you'll see it at a pace where it's, it's, quite entertaining as well. So we've done an amazing job with the matchups.
0: Again, we're talking to Rich Franklin here on the fight game on 1230 the game. Something else I want to talk to you about with one is we see it all the time in UFC guys missing weight and something interesting and you saw in the last big boxing fight Garcia versus Davis where there was a 10 pound rehydration clause and it's just hey we want to keep guys in like a certain weight limit. How important do you think it is for one that guys are fighting more around fight time at their natural weight?
5: Yeah, first of all I like seeing the, the, the hydration clause in Ryan Garcia. It's a step in the right direction at one championship we've had uh, we don't we don't do weight cuts we do weigh-ins and the weigh-ins involve a hydration system and so we've been doing this for years now way ahead of the curve of the industry and it's not just the organizations it's it's the psychology of the fighters as well because fighters in combat sports whether you're wrestling you know like NCAA wrestling collegiate wrestling or if or if you're competing in MMA or boxing or whatever there is this culture of cutting weight and so we've We've re-educated the, the athletes to compete in our organization but essentially when you weigh in, you come to weigh in you you before you weigh in you take a hydration test which is a, a urine a sample analysis and we you know use instruments to test the hydration of your urine to make sure you're not sitting in a sauna dehydrating yourself and cutting weight and then you step on the scale and weigh in. And so with our system like we'll we'll weigh athletes before the event and then we'll also weigh them after the event making sure that they're not gaining significant amounts of weight back, which you shouldn't because if you're competing at your natural weight, then you're not in there cutting. So the whole idea is like if you're fighting at 155, you shouldn't really be walking around. You should be walking around somewhere between like 155 and 158 maybe and, you know, kind of tapering your nutrition or whatever and you're technically not cutting weight, but just making sure you're not overweight because you – ate maybe too many french fries the day before type of thing (laughs) or something like that.
0: Something else I want to ask you about. When it comes to one and getting a a bigger share of this American market, do you think that that's going to come with getting big-time stars? I see today the big news is, hey, they're not going to try to sign Francis Ngannou. But do you think that one needs a big star that's popular in the U.S.? I know you guys have Mighty Mouse. But do you think it's about stars or just putting together a quality product and having more events here in the U.S.?
5: I, well, I mean, I think it's the answer to that is both. You need stars, you need a good quality product. If you know if you have stars but no, the the product stinks. For example, like let's just say that your production value is horrible angles are off suddenly somebody gets clipped but the you yeah. know the camera nobody saw it right right you're like seriously like i'm gonna quit watching this junk it would be it would be hard to to create stars that way but no we we you know we have stars in the organization right now like Tang jitman Yong, he's he's on this card stamp fair texas on this card these are two athletes two more thai fighters that come out of thailand stamps actually competing against an american girl Lee anderson from invicta in mma she's cross borders with the the various sports. She competed in Muay Thai, kickboxing and MMA kind of all simultaneously. And she was a champ for us twice. But these are two of the athletes that are from Thailand that have kind of transcended borders and picked up a lot of US following, for example. And so it comes down to you know, obviously, you know, an athlete, a star has to have that kind of it factor. There has to be some magnetism to their personality on top of the fact that they need to be able to perform. And if you've never seen a guy like Rod Tang compete, like they call him the Iron Man. He's got an iron chin. Like he, you know, he has antics in the ring. He'll let you hit him. And which is kind of actually counterintuitive to who he really is because this is this is a man like when i think about rao i think about words like precision and accuracy in his style and you, i've seen him before where he's gotten clipped and he'll just like shake his head like come on bring some more <laughs> and let you touch him on the chin a few more times just for good measure before he puts you to the ground but then there are other times where he's just coming in and he's completely completely untouchable and uh and unfolds uh you know a very strategic game plan as well so these kind of athletes they put on the kind of fights that people are suddenly like whoa I want to watch this guy and uh and and they they transcend borders. So it does take stars. We have some stars in the organization. We have we have a you know a, a, our interim heavyweight champ right now which we'll be doing later on this year our heavyweight unification bout, but we have two heavyweights and we have this guy out of Russia and he's just like he's just one of those guys that you know when you see him he makes you smile. Like he's just mm-hmm. always smiling until until he steps in that circle, man, and then it's a different story.
0: All right, before I let you out of here, I've got to ask you one UFC question. When it comes to that middleweight division, Izzy Sanyo. where does he, where is he ranking? Is do you think he's getting close to Anderson when it comes to that dominance in the middleweight division? No, I'm
5: going to say this. He'll, he he always ranks number three in my book, and here's here's my here's my reasoning for that. Anderson beat me, so he has to be number one. Of course. And because Anderson beat me, that makes me number two. All right. Okay, so now I'm putting Izzy at three.
0: All right, there we go. Rich Franklin, <laughs> top three middleweights <laughs> in UFC. History. I got I got to stick with that logic. All right, um, man, this has been great. I hope I'm not taking up too much of your time, but before I let you go, tell everybody where they can watch and when is one going to be here in the u.s
5: yeah uh tune in on prime video this friday night 8 8 p.m eastern 7, 7 p.m for the league card 8 p.m for the main card uh, it'll be on prime video it's live and we'll be in denver colorado this is may 5th cinco de mayo coming up this week stack card top to bottom main event demetrius mighty mouse johnson versus our former flyweight champ who he took the belt from in the rubber match possibly dj's last fight before he retires he's teased this so don't take my word for it check the match out and make sure that you don't miss his possible retirement match
0: thank you so much for joining me today awesome to be here and that was my conversation with rich franklin i mean one of those interviews were the talk that we had after Should have been what we aired, because it was so great. He was talking about him sparring. If he were to ever make a comeback, I know he's a little long in the tooth, but his song would be LL Cool J, It's Time for War, Exit 13. He was giving me a hip-hop lesson on this LL Cool J song, rapping the lyrics. It was great to sit down and talk with Rich Franklin in person. One of those guys, I told him this, and not to take it the wrong way, and he understood what I meant, but I grew up watching him, and... Even the story he told about the first time someone said that to him, the first time someone said to Rich Franklin, oh, I grew up watching you. He got offended. So I had to preface it with, hey, man, you know, obviously, you know, I'm younger than you. But Rich Franklin, it was great to talk to him. One championship. Don't miss it. Check it out if you're a fan of the sport because there's so much going on with one championship. And joining me in studio here on The Fight Game is a very special guest because we are going to be talking about not only UFC 288 that's coming up, but also a little Vanderpump rules. But let's get, you know, our vegetables out of the way first for UFC 288. Amy Kaplan, at PhotoAmy33 on Twitter if you want to follow her, always leading off the questions at the UFC Apex. Thank you for joining me today.
7: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is a really cool new experience for me.
0: Yeah, I I had to get you on the show. Let's talk about UFC 288. What do you think about this card? I mean, the main event, Aljo, Henry, we've all been waiting for this fight. Henry coming back. But also that co-main event. I mean, I was just in Miami. It feels like two weeks ago. I'm still telling people about, oh, man, Miami was amazing. And for Gilbert Burns to be fighting again, that's ridiculous.
7: Yeah, Gilbert, uh, ridiculous is a good word to describe him because, like, he's ridiculous in life. And in fight. And I think that just makes for fun always, you know, even if he loses, it's fun. I mean, not, not for him, of course, but, you <laughs> know, it's it's fun like always us. a good time, you know, so it, it's exciting. It's going to be a good card. And I really think fans are not giving it the, the respect it deserves.
0: The, the whole and the entire the card, card in general. Yeah. Um. What are some, some of the fights that you think that people aren't like are, are sleeping on a little bit?
7: I mean literally all of them like I think people just think it's going to be like an easy in and out for Henry and I don't see that happening so I think they're kind of sleeping on this this title fight and I think people just don't like Aljamain which is just silly to me you know just fans are just brutal um yeah, the whole card is going to be crazy, but yeah, I think that I think they really they're sleeping on the main event, which is crazy that people are sleeping on the main event of a card.
0: Let's talk about that main event. You mentioned Jermaine Sterling. People really don't like him that much. I don't see why. I mean, of fighters in the UFC, I think Aljo's been on my show the most, so I mean, I'm always rooting for that guy because he's always on the show. But I, what do you think it is? I mean, him and Henry, where he's got the cringe gimmick, the king of cringe. I mean, these are two guys that try to be entertaining. Why do? You, what do you think the, the the fan base? Why do you think they like? push him away a little bit
7: it's weird like people turned on him because of how he won the title and they just can't get back on that bandwagon um i thought that they would get back on it when he beat him peter yan legitimately Mm -hmm. um because i do think he beat him legitimately Uh, and and it's just like no matter what he does it's like he's never gonna win he's like i don't want to call him like dana white but like he has that dana white kind of like where fans are gonna criticize him no matter what he does good or bad they're gonna find the bad
0: yeah, I, I just don't understand it with Algernon, like I said, where he's been on the show, and obviously the way he won the title, he didn't ask to get kneed in the face. He didn't ask for that. But in the rematch, he went out there, beat him definitively in my mind. TJ Dillashaw, he didn't tell him to go out there and compete with a shoulder that was that he knew was going to give out as soon as he got taken down. Or it's just a guy where he's got the resume, but I feel like people just don't want to give him his credit. And with Henry coming back, what do you see Henry doing in this fight? Because I, I am weary of the layoff. I know that John Jones had his win. I know that people are throwing around that stat of fighters, you know, from 125 to 170. Only one person has won a title fight that's above the age of 35 years old. Do you think that Henry does have a good shot in this fight, though?
7: Absolutely. I actually, I, I, if I had had a gun pointed to my head, I would oh. pick Henry. <laughs> my heart picks Algermaine because um, mm-hmm. I really want him to get that win to, to hopefully get the fans back on his side. I think he deserves it. Um and I think he deserves to have that win under his belt. Um, but I do see Henry coming back. I don't think he would come back if he didn't feel prepared. I don't feel like he left because he wasn't feeling right in the fight game. It was literally a personal decision, personal life kind of thing. So I feel like him coming back isn't the same as like somebody taking a layoff and like not training and not, or like taking a layoff because they had some sort of issue with their fight game. Um, so I, I do I, I think it's gonna be closer than a lot of fans think, but I definitely think Henry's gonna got to squeak out that one.
0: Again we're talking to Amy Kaplan here on the fight game. I've got to ask you. This co-main event, who do you have winning this one? This this is the fight of the night to me and it hasn't even taken place yet.
7: This whole card is is like I, I don't I'm so afraid to make a pick for this whole the whole main card <laughs> because there's so many there's like emotional emotional feelings with some cuz I'm very like when I make a pick I don't think about the skills that all that, which I think obviously most people do. I think about the mental aspect of the game. I think about fighters returning. I think about fighters coming in on short notice. I feel uh, you know fighters that have something to fight for. I always give that mental aspect of the game a little bit more push than probably other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go Bilal.
0: Whoa. I'm not. You, when you talk about the mentals, Gilbert, you can be swayed from you know talking to people. But he also mentioned he's like, oh, the money that I put into the camp, the money I put into the food, the money I put into the psychology, and that was a shocker for me. Of hey, talk about that some more. Like your actual mental process when it comes to this fight. I I really do like Gilbert in this fight a lot because he's just someone where everything that he does to me, I'm like this guy. He's doing it the right way. I mean, but the short notice, it's it's gonna be. It's going, to be a, it's going to be challenging. A fight that I want to ask you about that's not on the main card, on the prelims, actually, Drew Dober, finally inside the top 15. He's one of those guys for me. I call him an apex superstar. So I'm glad that he's got one of these fights, you know, on a big stage, at a big arena, on a pay-per-view. Do you see him losing this fight at all?
7: Ugh, you picked the one on like the main or on the, the under card that I'm like the most torn about again. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm asking the question. They're all so, so close. Um, I really I mean I think I think he I think he wins. I think Drew gets it. Um, but Matt Frivola is a force to be reckoned with. I think he surprises people a lot. I think the fact that this is fight is in his backyard, he's gonna have hometown crowd. I think that might give them a little bit of an edge. Like I said, I'm all about the the mental aspect of it. Um, I'd like that they're kind of being friendly with each other mm-hmm. beforehand. So I don't know. Can I say I hope it goes to like a, a draw or something? Yeah. <laughs> <And> then-
0: <laughs> I mean, with Drew, dro- with Drew Dover fighting, I don't think anything's going to a draw no. ever. No. But I mean, if, if a draw is what's in your heart, that's within your heart. Also, want to talk about the women's strawweight bout. Jessica Andrade versus Jan. Uh, what do you, how do you see this one going? This is one of those Jessica Andrade. She is one of those fighters to me where she is a superstar where you know that you're going to get an exciting fight. So it's one of those I find it hard to bet against her in any situation.
7: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely I think that's the easiest one for me on the card. Yeah. I think she's definitely the favorite there. Um, I don't know if she is. I haven't looked at the odds, but she's the favorite in my heart, and that's all that matters. <laughs> um, I would love to see her as champion. Um yeah, I just think that she's she's got she's got it.
0: All right, Amy, let's talk about the real serious business here. Vanderpump Rules. The scandal that's shocking the world. all Tom Sandoval. I mean, this has brought me back to Vanderpump. I mean the past two seasons I was like kinda like yeah. But now, the all of it all <laughs> has it revamped your love for Vanderpump Rules.
7: Well, I have never not loved Vanderpump Rules. Oh, wow. I was actually working covering Vanderpump Rules when this season was being filmed. So <laughs> I was getting a lot of leaks about things that were being filmed. Obviously, none of it was scannable. But I do remember one thing that I wrote about was Ariana having to put a tweet out that they are not in an open relationship. And I remember thinking, like, what does that have to do with And, like, then I just kind of rolled away. I like Because, of, of course, I, then we went to Raquel with with Schwartz and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, that's nothing. But now that's something that, that tweet was like something that was like a tip off of something. We had no idea. I, 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 I it made me realize I'm too invested in, in reality TV for one, which is my biggest problem, but I'm, I'm never going to fix that problem. Don't. Um, yeah. It, the show is, I mean, if you have never seen it, start from the beginning because mm-hmm. there was a very scandalous esque kind of thing with season one, and I thought, there's no way you can get better than that, and then every season just gets better and better and better, and yeah, it just is it's amazing.
0: Alright, so I've also been watching the uh, watch-alongs with Jax and Brittany, because they are coming back on the next season, but I'm aligned with Jax, where I think that Sandoval put Schwartz up to it. Maybe Schwartz didn't know initially, but he definitely knew along. like, uh, eventually he's like, hey, Schwartz, I need you to, you know, help me out with this, you know, get people off my scent a little bit. Uh, From your leaks, do you think that that's
7: also what happened? I'm going to throw this out there and say I think that Sandoval made Raquel do it. Oh. I think that she knew what she was doing, and I think that Schwartz is just kind of a dumb like. Because if he was told about it, he would have followed along more. He kind of hemmed and hawed, and like kind of he, his reactions were too pure. He was too shy, and like that fire where she's like, "You can kiss me," he's like, oh. "Like that's she was that she's the diabolical one." I think she was the one that Tom talked her into doing that to cover, like do the cover.
0: You just blew my mind right now because I've been thinking about this in the, hey, Sandoval put Schwartz up to it. But I never thought that Sandoval put Raquel up to it to fake it like, oh, fake it with Schwartz. Because this entire season, we've seen that they've had no chemistry. There's no chemistry between Schwartz and Raquel. But, man, that's that's really something right there. So what have you heard about, you know, obviously since they had to pick filming back up, right? Once, once the scandal, like situation broke. So was it already, was, was filming already done? But then they said, Hey, this is too good for us not to film.
7: Yes. I believe that if I, if I'm correct, that they were starting to film the next season or, or were like talking about filming the next season and then they just moved it up. But I do know that they had been done and that the whole season had already been like cut and, and ready. Um, because like when like I said, I was reporting it as was happening. and, and the whole storyline that we had gotten was gonna be about Raquel and Tom Schwartz. And that was gonna be like the biggest storyline. And I was excited for that. you know, like that alone was like scandalous, you know, so so exciting. And then the whole Oliver thing because we reported that as it happened. So it's weird because like I've known about this for like six months and then now seeing it playing out on TV, how much we got right or wrong, it was it's just interesting to see.
0: Do you think that Katie is redeeming herself this season? Because I have been out on Katie for the longest, but it's like she's winning this season. And as a Schwartz fan, you know, it's like—and not that I don't want to see Katie, you know, do well, but it's—I feel like she's she's really. I'm starting to like her more now, post divorce,
7: more than I thought I would. I've always been Team Katie. Wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm very. I like the underdogs. I like Team. I like Katie. Um, I always thought that Tom was sort of like the one that was making her look crazy because of how he acted. He acted like a child and I could understand where she was coming from. And she did definitely do some stuff and say some stuff that was a little. Eh. But I was like, you know what? She's got that child that she's married to. You know, like I don't blame her for acting like a B.I.T.C.H.
0: You know what? Now I'm starting to realize maybe I'm looking in the mirror Maybe I'm the problem because I look at Schwartz. and I'm like, he did nothing wrong. (laughs) A couple of makeouts here and there. What's the problem?
7: (laughs) Well, I can say that he isn't as bad as I think of all the men on the show. He's the the least problematic of them. You know, like he's I do think he's kind of innocent and like, "Eh," but that's his problem. Like he needs to grow up. He hasn't grown up. And I think that's like as a woman married to a man that won't grow up. It's like, oh, grow up. (laughs)
0: Who do you think um, is take? Who do you think is gonna take the news the worst? We haven't seen like the actual fallout or maybe even the reunion yet. Obviously, outside of Ariana, who do you think is gonna take the Scandaval situation the hardest?
7: Okay, wait, have you seen the preview that leaked? Yes, I did. Okay, yes. okay, okay. I didn't want to spoil anything. Um, hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think
0: reportedly Lala. she, punched her, she punched her in the eye after. Yeah, supposedly watching. she
7: shoved her. Like, oh, okay, that's okay. depending on the size. Okay. I actually think, that going back to that, I think that um, the reason why Raquel filed the restraining order was so that she wouldn't have to come to the reunion or face them at the reunion. And then that kind of backfired because then they would figure out a way to do the reunion anyways. I think she was planning ahead, like, I got to figure out how I don't have to face these people. Um, so that's kind of what I think there. But... Yeah, I mean, I think Lala is going to be the one that's going to react the most because she's, I mean, she reacts the most for anything. Yeah. But she's also now being proven right for a lot of things that she said, and she's going to be, like, girl power. And, like, you know, I can't wait to see how she treats Tom and Raquel.
0: Oh, well, obviously the episode before, I want to say it was last week's episode, where they're having a fight at the um, restaurant on the beach. And she's going at Tom about, like, oh, he just does the fingers in the mouth, me, 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 me. Poor Tom, but she's not buying the act, and obviously calling Raquel a mistress. She just wanted, like, oh, how does it feel now? I'm not gonna lie, Lala with the Don this season for Lala. She's just been very annoying for me. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I love Lala, give me Lala, but it's just this season, give me less. I, I don't know. Maybe
7: I'm alone. I mean, yeah, I, I get, I definitely get how she can rub people the wrong way. She definitely is extra. But I love a little bit of extra, you know. I think she definitely there are there are times where I'm like, okay, she doesn't need to be the moral compass of the group because she has a lot of shadows, you know, or what's the right word? She has a lot of something in her closet. What (laughs) is it? Skeletons. Why did I say shadows? I was trying to say shadows in her closet. You know what I mean? She's got a lot of stuff, and I think too that like all the stuff with Randall, just everyone forgot about it. Like no one talks about it anymore, and that's major like real life stuff. Like he's being accused of child endangerment and, like, things like that. So there's some real stuff going on, and I think that the Vanderpump Rules people, their problems seem huge, and, like, they're fun for us to watch because they seem huge, but they're really not. Like, Mm -hmm. somebody cheated, everyone's been cheated on. All right, let's move on with our lives now.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's, it's funny you say that, where it's also, like, there are bigger problems than the problems that the people have on this show, but it's just so captivating, and we can't turn away, I mean... This show has been on for it feels like 10 years now. But I've got to ask you. Is Sandoval still the number one guy in the group?
7: He was never, he was the, never the number one, one guy, guy in, in the group. group. There was no number one guy in the group. It was Okay, so what? somebody said one time on Twitter that they would love a show where it was just the women and just get all of the men off the show. And I agree. Like the men have been the problem. How I dare mean, you I not all men. Just the men on the show. No,
0: just the men on the show. They make the show. We're with the...
7: Well, you're right. They do because they, they're the ones cheating.
0: If Jax didn't crash Stasi's birthday party that one time, <laughs> what drama do we get there?
7: That's what I mean, though. But, <laughs> I know. You're right. It would be really boring because it would be like, all oh, women... in Women working it. at sir, yeah. and we're just, hey,
0: what's the shift like?
7: Yeah, I'd be over it really quick. But I have to say... Their whole – I was re-watching the show, and they were talking about the Daily Mail party, and they have Mm -hmm. had a Daily Mail party a few times. I used to work for the Daily Mail, and they started having those Daily Mail parties after I left. And I sometimes think about going back to work there just so I can go to those Daily Mail parties.
0: That would be the highlight maybe of my year if I was able to go to one. I mean I despise L.A., so I'm never – I'm never trying to make a trip to go to L.A. because I'm like, oh, this is the worst. But I'm like, man, maybe a trip out to TomTom – Maybe just go out to TomTom just for the fun of it, because maybe I see them. Maybe, I, like
7: <laughs> I have been to Pump, and I've been to Sir, uh-huh. and I've been to Villa Blanca, which doesn't exist anymore. Every time I've been there, I've seen somebody that I recognize. I saw Ken. Oh, wow. I saw Lisa. I got a picture of Lisa. Um, and I've seen, uh, oh, who's the who's the one that Raquel also made out with? Peter. Peter. I saw oh, Peter. J- Peter yeah. actually legitimately still works there, which I think he's the only one that really does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's an actual re- yeah. I mean,
0: he's he's trying to claw his way yeah. into screen time now yes. since season one. And it feels like the producer's like, no, no, not you. Not you. Because even the with him and Raquel when they were, oh what's gonna happen there? I knew it was nothing. I knew it was a way, oh, this will get Raquel a little storyline for the first couple of episodes before the Schwartz thing I think up. maybe
7: even Tom came up with that and thought this would be a good distraction. And then he started catching feelings and he's like, abort, abort, abort. How long has this been going on? I think it's been going on a long time. I think that's why she broke up with uh, James. James, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. I do. I really do. I believe it's been going on for a long time.
0: Man, I mean... You are blowing my mind right now. I can't tell I mean, because love it. man, because remember when um when Schwartz made the Rochella joke where he where James was like, Oh, it's gonna be bigger than that, and he's like, Oh, that, that the worst time of my life. It was a dumb proposal. And then yeah, with Rain, they announced that they're you know they're not they're you remember break.
7: who paid for that that engagement, right? The whole party? Yeah, it, it was Tom It was Sandoval.
0: Yeah. Man, uh, the Machiavellian twist that Tom Sandoval has been orchestrating mm-hmm. this. the whole. That's why we need Jax back. We need the number one guy back.
7: I actually do. I love Jax. I miss Jax and Brittany. I miss them all. I bring bring them all back. I love Saucy. Bring them what? back. Bring them back. They learn their lesson. Bring them back. Give them a chance to redeem themselves and have drama ensue. It'll be worth
0: it. I'm glad you said that because... What they were accused of. This is this is now just going to be on the podcast. So you know this isn't on the air. So you know that my bosses can't get mad at me. This is like a little slight racism. All right, you know, yeah. like a little slap on the wrist racism. Not like kick them off the show and we can never talk about them again. Racism. <laughs> like bring them back. What would, would we be watching if they weren't problematic?
7: Well, and I think. I mean, come on. Yeah, and I think too. Like people need to be given a chance. Depending on what what they say or do, they should be given a chance to to learn from their mistake. Because if you just People out of everything forever, then they don't learn anything.
0: Uh, to be honest, when it comes to these people, I don't want them to learn from their mistakes. I want them to be 45 still making the same mistakes. I, you know, where it's like, I want to see them get better. No, not at all. If they got better, if they got their lives together, when everybody started buying the houses and they all lived in, like, the same, you know, block radius. No, 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 no. That's not good for me. Go back to the crappy apartments in, what was it, West End? Oh,
7: yes. (laughs) Was terrible. That one apartment that, like, every cast member lived in. And it was Tom's, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes, that was a terrible apartment.
0: Oh. Go back to those days. I like I want people to once I need some people to pick up some shifts at Sir. Yeah. Where it's like give me the illusion that it's still <laughs> you know, that you guys are still struggling trying to live out your dreams.
7: Did you ever like Ariana and Tom together? Like what do you think of them as a couple?
0: I thought that he definitely needed to get away from Kristen and I was yeah and, and I thought that Ariana, she's one of the most naturally beautiful people on the show. So for me, I was like, Oh, Tom he's upgraded. And I did like them together because, you know, she she's kind of the smartest of the crew?
7: Yes. Or and they did have kind of like, I don't want to call it an open relationship because it wasn't the was she, open. She actually said it wasn't an open yeah, relationship. Yeah, like, but like they had a, they had a, they had a, I don't know, like an open but not sexually open. A yes. verbally open. Like they could do, and like they always seemed very above, like there was no jealousy. It was like, mm. you do this, I trust you, you do this. I just want it to turn out not to be great. But for a long time it worked and I really admired that they like trusted each other so much and worked together so much.
0: Man, so do you think that James's girlfriend that she that she knew she was going to start when she told, "Hey, I saw them dancing at um, I forget the name of the club at 1 a.m." Did you think that she, that she knew that this is what was going to happen? Cuz I Ooh. think that she's playing a little too innocent. I don't think she like wants to be a full-time cast member, but I think she knew what she was oh, doing. Oh, I
7: think she does because she was a fan of the show before she met him.
0: Oh, she's another Britney. <laughs> she was
7: a fan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think she I think she definitely wants to be on the show. I think she's not you're right I don't think she's as innocent as she seems. I think she, there's a story there. I think there's got to be something more to her cuz I don't like her yet though. I don't dislike yeah. her. I don't I don't I'm just sort of like I don't care if you're in the scene, I don't care who you are, what you're doing, but um yeah, I don't think James loves her at all.
0: I don't I don't either. Yeah. I don't think he's over Raquel.
7: No, I don't either.
0: I, man, but now if
7: Oh, James in, might be the worst, the one that takes I, the I'm worst. I'm thinking about this
0: now. If I'm him, I want to fight to the end of all. Like, yes. how long has this been going on? I can't, we can't believe a word that he says now. Yeah. Even if, yeah, like one time. And on yesterday's episode where Ken's the one breaking the news of, uh, oh, did you? It's like, okay, but you, you guys wanted to get Ken on camera. But this is.
7: That was so of planned. Of course. And I, but I love it and I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when, I don't know if you watch, uh. Real housewives, but, of course, but when Lisa kind of left because she was being accused of selling things to the time, radar online, she absolutely was. Absolutely, thank, was. You, thank you. I can because I can tell you right now, as a person who formerly worked for Daily Mail, we had a very tight relationship with Lisa Vanderbump because that's why we were having parties at, at her place all the time, hosting parties there and stuff. Like, there's a reason, like, she was absolutely planting stories. I mean, I can't. I can't be sure. I don't have any evidence. No, but no, no. I, my I, gut no, yeah, is telling me. Yeah,
0: your gut's telling yeah. you. Audrey, I hope you're listening right now. Thank you so much. I mean, the Bravo celebrities, we are all in Real Housewives of, of Beverly Hills. That's my favorite of the franchise. Are you going to go to the Erica Jane show when, when she comes out? I up?
7: want to so bad. I kind of want to see if I can get a press pass and take a, take photos of Ooh. it. But I don't know if I can. But
0: Oh, ah, man. I'm going to try. Yeah. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show because I know we could just do this forever and forever. I mean, UFC 288. Photo Amy, 33, on Twitter. Let everybody know what you got going on.
7: Oh, I have nothing going on. Sweet. <laughs> I'm just on FansidedMMA.com. We just launched. Uh, we've obviously I've been Fansided forever, but we launched our own little MMA site. So you can go directly to our news there at FansidedMMA.com.
0: Thank you so much.
7: Thank you for having me.